0: Well, good morning, Elevation Church. How's everybody doing today? Yeah? Y'all starting to get in the Christmas spirit a little bit? It's hard when it's 75 degrees outside here. I'm on my weatherman rant again. But, you know, I understand that tomorrow, or maybe this afternoon, I, I, today, the cold front is coming. Polar Express, baby. Hot chocolate tonight. Anybody? All right. Good deal. Man, that was a great worship set this morning. Where the guy, I mean, thank you. They disappeared. I think they had to go get their coffee fixed now, but I almost don't want to preach the message that I have to preach today. It's like this deep, dark, heavy subject, what happens when I die. I feel all light and energized, but you know what? The truth about what happens when we die is really not so dark, so heavy when you really think about it. And by the time we leave here today... I hope that every one of you will be in agreement with me about that statement. As weird, as odd, as, as really as that may sound, that, that death ain't such a bad thing, maybe you'll agree with me after you hear what the Lord has to say about what happens when our physical bodies pass away. Because here's an unpopular truth. <laughs> we all have a date with death. We've all got a date with death. Historically, the numbers are pretty consistent, right around 100% death rate. Now, I don't know if you can find a blip on the radar somewhere. I I haven't found it. But but we all have this, this date with death because our bodies are temporary. Our bodies were not made to live forever. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You are not temporary. You are an eternal being. Now, a lot of times when we think about God or maybe angels as being eternal beings, person that will live forever and ever, amen, you don't think of yourself like that because you know your body is going to die. You know, we all know in the back of our minds we have that appointment with death. Right? Just like you have a birthday, you're gonna have a death day. And so you think of yourself in terms of your physical body. I want you to start thinking about yourself in terms of your eternal soul. Your body's just like a suit of clothing that you wear for a period of time. I heard one author or read an author one time who called it his earth suit. Literally, I thought that was a great, that's a great way to look at it. This is your earth suit. You wear it for a period of time, just like you wear whatever you're wearing today for a period of time. Most of us will go home today and wash, you know, take our clothes off and, and put them in the dirty clothes, and they'll get washed at some point. Now, I said most because there are teenagers in the room today, and that is all bets are off. Now, they're all girls, and so that's probably going to happen. But, but I, when I was a teen, never mind. So, you know, anyway. But, yeah, that's kind of what it's like with your, with your body. There's going to be a day where you don't wear this body anymore. In a way, you're going to outgrow it because the spiritual being, the eternal soul that dwells inside of this body is who you really are. So you're not a body with a soul. You're a soul that's been clothed in a body, and the body is going to die. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28, in case you're doubting what I'm saying, I just want to go ahead and back it up with Scripture says this, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and He will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. The writer of Hebrews sets us up for our topic today, sets us up for the talk we're about to go through, this whole thing about what happens when my body dies. What happens when my body dies? Well, he says we're all going to die, and after that we're going to face judgment. Now, this is going to be a little bit of a recap from a couple of weeks ago when I talked about judgment. Some of you guys were here, some of you weren't. If you weren't here, great. Follow along, you'll know everything everybody else knows. If you were here, trust me, you hadn't got it all figured out None of us do, so it's not bad to go back and recap and relook at some of these things that we've already talked about. What happens when you die has been explained to me like this. Your physical body is here, your soul is inside of it, your physical body dies, and then your soul is transported through what I've heard described as a tissue-like veil. Now, I don't know if that's really true, but it's, it's something I can kind of wrap my finite brain around a tissue-like veil that separates our physical world, our physical life, from the spiritual world. So the temporal body is dead, but the eternal soul lives on. It lives on in the spiritual world, and the first thing that we're going to encounter is a judgment. We're going to be judged for our lives. Let's check out what Revelation chapter 20, verses 11-15, a passage of Scripture that we went through just a couple of weeks ago. Let's revisit this passage and kind of um, um, re-educate those of us who are here and maybe catch up some who were not about judgment. There's going to be two judgments. You'll only go through one of the two, but there are two judgments. One is for people who follow Jesus, Christians, Christ followers, whatever you want to call them, saved people, whatever. One is for... Everybody else, those who don't know Christ. And this passage of Scripture, Revelation 20, 11 through 15, describes that judgment. It's called the great white throne judgment. It's the judgment for those who don't know Christ. And here's what it says. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead. This is physically dead and spiritually dead. Okay? I saw the dead those without Christ, great and small, rich and poor, important, unknown, whatever, standing before the throne, and books, plural, books, were opened. And then another book, singular, important that you note that, another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books, plural. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Judgment. Ouch. That's not the kind of judgment I want to encounter when I die. The Bible says we're going to be judged for what we do with our lives, for how we steward the opportunities, the gifts, the the blessings that God has given us. The chief among those is the gift of Jesus, which we're going to celebrate here in a couple of weeks. Christmas, celebrating his birthday. Christmas, literally, Christ's Mass. Right? We're going to celebrate that gift. But have you received that gift? You could know all about the gift. You could... Describe the gift wonderfully and perfectly. You can shake the box. You can know what's inside. But if you never open up the gift and receive the gift, that's the judgment you will encounter when you check out of this life. The great white throne judgment. Lake of fire. Bad stuff. 2 Corinthians 5 1 through 10 is a passage of Scripture you can all read on your own time. It describes the other judgment. It's a good judgment. It's the judgment for Christ followers, believers. I think we have it up there. I don't want to take the time to go through the whole thing. Again, it's a recap. Write it down, Second Corinthians 5. 10, I said 1 through 10. It's 5.10, sorry about that. Check that out on your own time. It talks about what happens in the other judgment, the judgment for believers and the rewards that believers receive. But see, we all have a date with death. Every single one of us. None of us are getting out of this life alive. Not physically. We're all going to be judged. We're all going to stand before a holy God, a righteous God, and give an account for what we did and didn't do with our lives. We can either, at that judgment, receive God's wrath Or at that judgment, we could receive God's pleasure. God's wrath, God's pleasure. The catch is, it's your choice. It's my choice. Which one you will receive, which one I will receive on that day. God loves us so much, He gives us the choice to love Him, to follow Him, to receive the gift of His Son Jesus, to receive salvation from our sins. I don't need to convince you that you're a sinner. You know in your heart of hearts that you're a sinner. You can make all the excuses in the world, try to justify whatever. You know. You know the darkness of your own heart. I knew before I was a believer in Christ. I knew when I was very far from Him, when I would scream to anybody who would listen that there is no God and if you believe in Him, you're a fool, you're weak. I think it was Shakespeare who said, Methinks thou doth protest too much. I think there's a lot of people in the world who protest too much. The louder you scream, there is no God, the more I believe you are convicted in your inmost being of your sin. You know you're a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. The only way out of our sin situation is through a Savior. His name is Jesus. If you know Jesus, physical death should not make you afraid. If you know Jesus, you've got nothing to be afraid of when your appointment with death comes because you can have in your judgment the pleasure of God fall on you instead of the wrath of God, which is what you deserve. It's what we all deserve. Some understand these facts. They don't deny them. I mean, there's some people who deny them, but like I said, I think the more you deny it, the louder you deny it, the more convicted you probably are. Some don't deny it. They don't deny the fact anyway. What they deny is that there's an urgency involved in making a decision about Jesus. There are people who go through this life thinking they're going to have the opportunity to live life like, a, like hell, Right? I'm going to live as a hellraiser. I'm going to party like it's, I don't know, it's not 1999 anymore. What is Prince? I don't know, 2099? I don't know. I'm going to party like it's 2099. I'm going to chase this pleasure and that pleasure. I'm going to make myself the God of my life. And then, one day when I'm older, then I'll turn over a new leaf. Then I'll pray a prayer. Then I will follow jesus some of these people even point to scripture as justification for their misguided beliefs they'll point to the to the uh, thieves on the cross crucified with jesus jesus in the middle uh, a thief a murderer on either side one of them rejects jesus even at that moment the other one says lord lord i mean i, I forgive me i'm a mess and jesus says today you will be with me in paradise In other words, you you get to go to heaven. You're in, dude. Talk about a deathbed conversion, a last-minute salvation. And people think they're going to have that opportunity to do that. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been on the receiving end of that most dreaded phone call? Somebody you know, somebody you love, unexpectedly passed away. Was a car wreck, heart attack, choked to death, drowned, sudden illness. Nobody knows when their time is. Just like Jesus said about the end of the world, nobody knows the hour or the day. Nobody knows. We don't know when our hour or our day is up. When God knit you together in your mother's womb, he preset the number of beats in your heart. He knows the number of hairs on your head, the number of breaths you will draw. He knows the date and the time and the circumstances of your last day. You don't. How dare we think we can live like hell, and then when it suits us, flip a switch and make a decision to follow Jesus? If you're one of those people who thinks they're going to be able to pull this off, some of these people that they can deny the 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 urgency about the decision. They can accept the facts but deny the urgency. They can kind of manipulate the system. Check out 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, is talking about our lives using the analogy of a house, a building, something that's being constructed. And he said as we build our lives, we build with certain types of materials. Some of those materials are burned up, destroyed by fire. Others of those materials are purified and refined by fire. And he says on judgment day, we're going to be, we're going to be tested with fire, judged with fire. And he says if our, our life, our house, our dwelling, our building is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. Now talking about believers in Christ here yet will be saved even though as one escaping through the flames. So if you're a a deathbed decision person, the very best that you can hope for is that you do live to a ripe old age, that you have some kind of disease or something that gives you months to prepare, (coughs) and that you can make some kind of last-minute decision to follow Jesus, to place your faith in Him. And if you do that, the best you can hope for is an eternity that's kind of crispy. Kind of, you're safe, but just barely. You're going to have the smell of smoke and the tinge of fire on you. You're going to lose rewards in heaven that you should have had, that God had ordained for you, set aside for you, prepared for you. He wants you to have them. But your choices on earth, the life that you built, disqualified you from them. We're not going to all have the same experience in heaven. Some are going to be different. Some people are going to have rewards that others won't. Building a life that honors God, that blesses Him, that, that follows what He wants, what He has for you, that follows the overarching principles of Scripture, that kind of life in eternity is rewarded. Last-minute decisions, yeah, you may get in, but only as one who has run through the flames, a little scorched, a little tinged. But the reality is most of the people who try to practice that kind of lifestyle, who think they can delay, hold on, and live for themselves, they're not going to have that opportunity because they don't know when that day will come. There's no guarantee that you'll be able to rebuild using the right materials when you have built all of your life using the wrong. Something that I've found in my own life as a pastor, I became a Christian when I was 21. It's even true in in my life as a Christ follower. The longer you build without Jesus, the longer you live without faith, the more difficult it is to have faith because you're hardened by your own sin. You're hardened by your own way of living. I don't know about you guys. I mean, I had... From 0 to 21, I became a Christian when I was 21. From 0 to 21, I formed my own ways of dealing with life. Life has challenges it throws at you, doesn't it? There's a lot of challenges we deal with in life. And without Christ, I formed my own ways to deal with those challenges, to deal with the opportunities, to deal with the good stuff and the bad stuff. I was one proud, arrogant son of a gun. I won't lie. I found a lot of value in me. I was pretty sure I was right about everything all the time. I was not very humble. I was not really very likable. Unless I really wanted you to like me, and then I could turn on the charm, but it was all artificial. I dealt with life in my own way. It was hard for me at 21 years old to realize all that yuck that had been building up inside of me, all that conviction for years of living like that, I had to deal with that. I had to come to terms with that. I had to confess my own sin. I had to recognize I was not the pinnacle of authority for me. I had to get off the throne of my own life so that the rightful king could sit on it. The longer you live sitting in that throne, the harder it is to get up out of it and give it to Jesus. So even if. You live to that ripe old age. Even if you have that opportunity, it will be hard. And yeah, you may say the words. You may pray a prayer. Dear God, I believe in you. I believe in your son Jesus. Save me from my sins. I've lived a terrible life. Take me to heaven with you. Amen. But you know what saves somebody? It's not the words that you say. You may fool men. You may fool me. You may tell me you're a Christian. That's all well and good. I may be fooled by it the entire time I know you. The Bible says God tests our hearts. He knows our motives. He knows what is happening in our inmost thoughts, feelings. He knows you completely. And you will not pull one over on God. On judgment day, Jesus said many We'll say, Lord, Lord, we we did this, we did that, we we know you were... mm -mm. I never knew you. Get away. It's not what you proclaim with your mouth. It's not how good of a life you live. It's do you know Jesus and did you truly follow him? We all have an appointment with death. We're all going to be judged. What else, Todd? What other good news do you have for me today? I thought you said I was going to be in agreement with you that dying may not be the worst thing that ever happens. I know. It's hard, isn't it, thinking about your own mortality? It's hard thinking about what's going to happen with your eternal soul when your temporal body, that thing that you've taken such care of that you've tried to make look good and... and uh, it's gone and, and now it's something that you can't even completely wrap your mind around. Is is that's that's what your life is? What happens, Todd, after my body dies, after I stand before God and, and and face judgment? Well, Matthew chapter twenty-five, a parable that Jesus told. It's called the parable of the talents or the parable of the bags of gold. We actually did a message on this earlier this summer. This parable, Jesus uses this this story of two meanings to describe one possible scenario for what happens when you face judgment. Now, I said earlier we read out of uh, Revelation about the great white throne judgment and what happens you know, for people who don't follow Christ. Here's an example of what can happen for those who do follow Christ. Let's get into this story. Jesus is teaching through this story. He says in verse 19, Matthew 25, 19. After a long time, now he's telling a story about a master who's going away and he's leaving some money with his servants to take care of while he's on this long journey. He says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and he settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold or five talents in some translations brought the other five. See, he's invested the master's money. He's invested that which he was blessed with and made a return on the investment. He's doubled it. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold, and see, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Now I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The servant who'd been given two bags of gold, see, the master gave his servants this money based on what he knew was their ability to handle the blessing he was giving them. He gave one five, he gave one two, and he gave one of his servants one. Here's the, what happens with the one who was given two bags of gold. He came and master, he said, you trusted me with two bags. See, I've gained two more. He too had doubled the master's money, invested it well. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Heard that phrase before. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. He gave the master back exactly what the master gave him. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You wicked, lazy servant. You know that I harvest where I've not sown. I gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, you should have then put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him. Give it to the one who has 10 bags, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance, whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant that's the kind of applause that's the kind of accolades that's the kind of acceptance i want to find on my day of judgment i don't know about you it sounds to me a little bit better than that place with the weeping and the gnashing of teeth i'm not sure what gnashing of teeth really amounts to randy's a dental hygienist she could probably draw some pictures show some some X-rays. I I got one of those night guard things because I grind my teeth at night. I think I would imagine gnashing of teeth is like a hundred times that all the time. Any of you guys have that thing? You know what I'm talking about? It's like you wake up and it just hurts and it's just ugh. Gnashing of teeth, weeping eternally. Can you imagine? I don't want that. I don't want that to be my reception on the other side of the, the tissue like veil. I want well done. Good and faithful servant. That's acceptance of the highest order from the highest one. That's applause and accolades from God. But you know what? I think too many people today live for the applause and the acceptance and the accolades of man. And when we do that, we very often miss the opportunity to receive those things from God. If you chase after pleasing a person, even if that person is yourself, you will probably miss pleasing God. our biggest priority in this life is to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. If we love God like that, we will please Him. And on the other side of death, when you really start to live, because let's just get real, death is not the end. When your body dies, that's not the end. That's the beginning. I I, I think that our bodies are like, it's, it's like being in your mother's womb for nine months. Those nine months are like a blink compared to your total life. I think this is like being in our mother's womb. And when we die, when we are born out of this earth suit, and our souls are set free into eternity, and God's plan is brought to fruition and there is no weeping there is no gnashing of teeth there are no tears in heaven there's no suffering there's no pain your whole body is reconstructed perfectly when you get to that point that's when you begin to live that's the real beginning look if you're a christian listen to me okay listen to me if you're not i don't care if you're not a christian Today, this life for Christ followers, it's as bad as it gets. Count your blessings. I think we're a blessed group of people. We're a blessed church. You're a blessed, I'm a blessed individual. We are so stinking blessed, we don't even know what to do with ourselves. You drove here today, you got a car, you put gas in it. You got a house that you live in, a roof over your head, food to eat. You got friends, family, people who love you. You got a church, a group of people, like minded, like hearted, who love you. Who will, I mean, literally, I've seen this church like give the shirts off their backs to support one another, to support people outside of our church. It's a very generous church we have. We're blessed without, I mean, just beyond our ability to account for. Those are the easy things to point out. The biggest blessing, of course, is the opportunity to know God, to be in his presence, to have Jesus intercede for you, to take your place on the cross, pay the penalty for your sins, so that you can be reconciled to God and dwell eternally with him and enjoy his favor and his blessing in this life. We're so stinking blessed. And yet this is as bad as it gets for those who follow Him. So if you don't follow Him today, it's as good as it gets. All those blessings are amazing. They're wonderful. They're beautiful. But as we said earlier, there are real challenges in this life. There's darkness. There's hurt. There's pain. There's weeping. And all of that will be magnified and made worse on the other side of this life. We need to live for the approval of God. Live for the approval, for the applause, and for the accolades of God. That starts with admitting that you're a sinner confessing those sins. He already knows. It's not like you're going to surprise him when you tell him. He knows. He just wants to hear you admit it. To confess those sins and to acknowledge that you don't have the answers, but you know he does. To put him on the throne of leadership in your life. To make him your Lord. That is your ultimate authority. The one you turn to good times, bad times, all the time. The one you follow and trust and have faith in. That you know that he is your provider and not yourself, not some job, not the government. That he is your savior, not some program, not your wealth, not your good deeds, not some rote prayer that you pray at the end of a hell-bent life in hopes that you can escape the flames. Salvation is by faith through grace. Faith that he is who he says he is, does what he says he'll do. Gives us access to God's grace which we don't deserve. When we do that and we live to make the most of his blessings, not pursuing man's accolades, man's applause, but pursuing God's, then the other side of the grave is the greatest adventure you will ever know. It is the greatest life you can't even imagine. And so there's good news about what happens when you die. Because what happens when you die in Christ is you truly begin to live. You truly begin to live. I mentioned Christmas a few minutes ago. This wasn't originally part of this message, but it's just a little rant that I kind of feel like I need to go on this morning. We talk about pursuing God's applause and God's accolades. We talk about living for Christ, living in Christ, letting Christ live in us. Versus pursuing our culture and man's approval and man's applause and kind of getting sucked into what's happening In our world, Christmas is one of those things that pops into my mind. Somebody earlier this week sent me a really funny video about the war on Christmas. I say funny because it was one political opinion, one side. You know, you got your left and your right, you're liberal, you're conservative, you're progressive, you're Tea Party, whatever, it doesn't matter. But there was this, this video that this guy sent, and I la- it was awesome. I enjoy. I, I watched it three or four times. It broke my heart in some ways, but it made me laugh in others. What it was talking about is the war on Christmas. And throughout it, he had his political opinion. The guy who was talking about it, he not a Christian. He had his opinion about Christmas and how Christmas gets rammed down our throats. And then he showed clips of other people who are conservative people who talk about how there's a war on Christmas and nobody wants to let manger scenes be seen and, and we can't call it Christmas. It's the holidays. And so you're seeing both sides of the equation played out here. And what I got from it is this. There's a war on Christmas and it's coming from both sides. I don't care where your political leanings are. One group wants to use Christmas as part of their platform to rant against the other. The other group doesn't, just wants to do away with, with the, the Christ in Christmas. They want it to be about Santa Claus and, and the Grinch and all the other things that, you know, secular Christmas gets us. But you know what? Both sides are stealing the true meaning, the purpose of Christmas. They're using it to forward their own agendas. And we get sucked into it so stinking badly. Our world has turned the birth of Christ into the most capitalistic. And listen, I'm not anti-capitalism. I am like, yay, yeah, God, let's go with some capitalism now. I like that free market economy. I like all the things that we have in this country that that allow us to do business like that. I'm not anti-business, anti-capitalism. I'm not anti-Christmas presents. Frankly, I'm really not anti a whole lot of stuff. What I am is pro-God. I am pro-Jesus, and I am pro-truth. And all three are being swept aside, diminished trodden on and trashed by our culture. And again, we get swept up and sucked in. Buy, buy, buy. You deserve, your kids must have. We're saturated with commercials, sales that aren't really sales. I get sucked in too, man. I I admit it. I spend money that I don't have to buy things that I don't need, sometimes to impress people that I don't even like. That's part of Christmas. Woohoo! I can't find it in here. Christmas is about the greatest gift that's ever been given. His name is Jesus. He lived and he died for you, and he rose again and invites you into eternity with him. Christmas is the most historically significant day in all human history. Equaled only by Easter. And we turned it into something, I don't even know what to call it. A travesty. A lie. We bought it. We sell it to our kids. We accept it in our culture. I'm not trying to turn anybody here into an activist. Some I don't want you to go become a political radical on either. You know what I want you to do? I want you to be radical in your faith and in your belief. Do not apologize about Christmas, what it is, what it means, who it's for. Do not apologize. Do not let culture beat out of you that truth. Do not let them make you ashamed of your faith. We should be sharing the gift of Christ with every person we can, especially at this time of the year. We should do it all the time. I didn't come to Christ at Christmas. I don't know. Did anybody else? Anybody become a Christian at Christmas? Became a Christian because of Christmas. Because Jesus was born, that gave us the opportunity. I became a Christian some other time. We should share Christ all the time, but we should be the most on purpose, upfront, intentional, unapologetic, bold with our faith in Christ at Christmas. Why? Because at Christmas, people are more receptive than at just about any time of the year to the things of God. People who will never go to church. Any other time, if they're invited, they'll come at Christmas. People who'd never darken the doors of a church at any other time of the year for peer pressure or cultural, you know, keeping with some norm that they were taught, for some reason, they'll come at, at, at Christmas. We should be on fire to seek those people out and to share the greatest gift ever given. God has given you the privilege to possess that gift and he has called on you and me to share it with others. In the church we call it evangelism. If you've been in church very long, you probably have some preconceived notion about what evangelism means. You see some street preacher standing on a stool with a little boom box and a microphone telling people they're dying and going to hell. I ran into that in downtown Fort Worth a couple years ago. Just shook my head. I mean, God bless him. I hope somebody listened. He he offended me more than he, you know, because of his approach. And if you think that's what evangelism is, that's one small style, one small avenue of evangelism. You don't think you can be an evangelist because you don't want to go do street preaching or because you don't want to hand out tracts on the street. That's man, that's pff, wipe that stuff out of your head evangelism is sharing the gift of Jesus with others. It's just telling them what he has done in your life, who he is, and then we celebrate his birth at at Christmas. Come celebrate with me. Check out the claims of Jesus. Check out the claims of Christ. You might find the greatest gift ever given. It's living your faith in such a vividly apparent way. It's not apologizing for the Christ in Christmas. It's telling the truth about it. That's evangelism. That's letting people know who you love, who you follow, who is in you and who you are in. I want us as a faith community As a church, the bride of Christ, to be proud of our bridegroom, Jesus. To build him up. To share his name and his good news with as many people as we can between now and Christmas. That's your charge. Not from me but from the Lord your God. He said, go, make disciples. Go, make followers of Jesus. That's my rant about Christmas. I pray that you will not accept any substitute, false teaching, lie, half-truth, mistruth, partial truth. I pray that you will not let pass any opportunity to share love and peace and grace and mercy, the good news, the gospel of Jesus. I pray that you will use His name and tell His story Every. time you have an opportunity from now until Christmas if you'll do that I believe that God will honor that and he will change lives he will change families he will change neighborhoods he will change this community and this community can be a a catalyst for change in our in our region in our state in our country and in our world and it can start from a spark just as small as Elevation Church, as small but significant as you. Be bold this Christmas and give the greatest gift ever.